training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Hey, I'm Matt Pendola. Welcome back to the Pendola Project. And I am Jake Parker. We had such a good conversation, Matt, with our guest today. His name's John Metzger. This was amazing. Yeah, I nickname him John Boy. He's 80 years old, but I tell you what, he's still in his youth in so many ways. He taught us so much about how to really have an open mindset, about taking the right opportunities with that mindset. What'd you learn from him today? I just learned that he has such a love of life and of people. Like this guy, successful CEO of a casino, and then he goes and drives Uber for a bit because he just likes talking to people. So I was, as he was speaking, I had to, you know, do some self analysis and I'm like, okay, I could work on this. I could be more open to meeting new people in the grocery store. You know, he had a really good way of connecting his stories to just the general human experience. And I feel like I am a better person having listened to him speak. Yeah. Actually, I had a client of mine who was in the gym one day and she said, the weirdest thing happened to me. I called an Uber driver the other day and John Metzger picked me up. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine? Yeah. She couldn't imagine why John would be picking her up, she said, is he like in tough times yeah, or what's yeah. going on? <laughs> Most people would be like, John, what happened? <laughs> yeah. And I told her, I said, no, he's doing it for fun. And I will say too, in my mindset, I've always kind of thought to myself, okay, work really hard, save your money, invest, blah, blah, blah. So that when I'm older, I don't have to do something like that. And yet, he completely flipped it over on me, and I thought to myself, oh, wait a minute. Like He actually wants to do something like that so that he can learn more about people and have new opportunities. And this is a guy who was you know, running a casino and just decided that this would be fun at 80 years old to do. Like, man, I can't wait to be an Uber driver. Yeah. So, and I was talking to you about when I first met you, you have a good story, I think, about when you take that opportunity and you take a chance with something and how you become, quote unquote, lucky by doing it. What, what were you saying about that, Jake? Yeah. So luck is preparation meeting opportunity. I'm paraphrasing John Metzger now, but but my story from that is when I met you. I was the little front desk kid at the gym that you were renting space from. And I knew that I wanted to be a trainer. I had started my studies to get my my NASM certification. It's a personal training certification. And I spoke to you one day after, you know, just everything up until then. We had just been like, hey, man, how you doing? Whatever that move is, that's cool because I could see you guys working out. And... I said, you know, I'm interested in this line of work and maybe you could give me some pointers. How, how do I get started? And you said, well, we can talk. Maybe you can intern with me, but first you have to get a NASM certification. And I said, well, Matt, I've got the book right here. I'm working on it right now. And so that just was a really profound moment because opportunity met preparation. And that eventually did lead to me becoming a trainer for you after 100 hours of interning. Yeah, 100 hours of interning. <laughs> That's It's a long time. The reason why I do that, honestly, is because I want to make sure people are serious about it. So I still do that to this day. Good. 100 hours or 
sometimes it's a few months. I even tell my interns, I'm not guaranteeing you at 100 hours that I'm going to hire you. We're just filling it out. But also, it could take more than 100 hours before you have a real value to me and to this facility and to our culture. So, you know, hey, you took your chance and you became a trainer of mine. And of course, we're friends today. And now we're in a future business because of it. Absolutely. It was a really serendipitous moment. And I wanted to bring it up in the podcast, didn't get a chance to. But John Metzger really has a way with words. And you can tell he is a brilliant conversationalist. Like he said, he always wanted to be well john you did it yeah and i tell you guys he doesn't sound like tony robbins or anything when he's talking he's you know he's a little slower spoken but listen to what he has to say because he chooses his words carefully and everything he's talking about has real experience and lessons learned behind it so without further ado john metzger Get your pencils, your pens out, take some notes. This guy has so much information to share about life worth living. He is John Metzger, long-term friend of mine, a local guy from Reno. In fact, he went to Reno High School, went on to UNR, and then went to Duke. That's pretty impressive. Got his business degree at Duke. Then he became chairman of the board at Fitzgerald's, which, man, there's a great story behind that one. I can't wait to hear that one again. John Boy and I have been friends for a while. He actually came to see me when he was 65 years old. I think, uh, John, you told me that's your birthday present you gave yourself is hiring me as your trainer when you were 65. You're now 80, by the way, guys. Am I right? Wasn't that your birthday present that year? Yeah, it was. Why did you decide that you were going to give yourself that birthday present? Me, which is, I mean, an honor. But why why was I your birthday present that year? I hate to let you down like this. Oh, boy. But... You were a tra- you were training an attractive young woman that <laughs> I was interested in. <laughs> yes, the truth comes so- out. Sorry, it's coming back to me now. That's right. That's right. I do remember that. We won't say her name just in case, but uh, I remember her. Yes, yeah. attractive girl. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. So that was your incentive for uh, getting into the gym. But hopefully, uh, you got a little bit more out of that than uh, than looking at an attractive. Girl, right? Oh, I did. I uh, I wrote some stuff for your website, talk, talking about it. So, uh, I remember one day somebody came into the gym. They were thinking of joining, and he said, "Well, I'll talk to John. He belongs." And they asked me if, if it was expensive, and I said, "Yeah, it is." And you you kind of winced a little bit. You were in the background, and I told him, "But but what else are you going to spend money on that's any better than this?" <laughs> that's right. Well, you get what you pay for. Yeah, no, you really, you really do. And of course, um, I feel like if I'm going to have the best possible outcome for somebody, then I need to be able to spend the appropriate amount of time understanding that person, trying to help them get to a better version of themselves. That's a that's a long process. And so I take a more individual approach to that. I always have. But um, that means that I can't take, you know, 30 people at a time and, and uh, create a boot camp class where they're all basically paying for, for that. I feel like that's a bit watered down. It was never my style, really. So I preferred going more of the individual route. But of course, that's when the price point has to be 
a little bit higher. So hopefully it was worth it, John. Was it worth it? Oh, absolutely. I remember one day you said, come on, you're coming with me. We went over to Rattlesnake Mountain. You suited me up with a 40-pound vest, two 20-pound weights, one in each hand, and we walked from the parking lot to the top. I, I remember I, that. I, I can't say it was nonstop. But I tell you, today, I, that was, you know, a long time ago. I'm I'm 80. But as I drive by Rattlesnake, I look at it and say, well, I couldn't, I can't do that now. But I did then, and that's nice. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. So, yeah, John, just talking a little bit about, well, why you're here in the first place. I'm going to start off with what's going to be the name of this podcast it's a quote that you taught me a long time ago. It's, Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. So I did a little research on this quote that you taught me, and it actually came from Roman philosopher Seneca. Kind of sounds like, I don't know, like a music group, right, Jake? Mm. Seneca? I'd rock it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I guess uh, in that research, there was a 10-year study that was done, and this is by a guy named Richard Wiseman. And they found that lucky people, quote unquote, have good intuition. And so through that experience that they have had, maybe failing forward along the way, they created self-fulfilling prophecies, which equaled positive expectations. So I guess you would say that with a resilient attitude, that equals luck. But what I would like to know is why was, is this a quote that you felt like it was important for me to know? What do you take out of this quote or what kind of life lesson, I guess I would say, would you say that you would want to tell people about this quote? Well, there are some people that are lucky and some people that aren't. But I've always felt, in fact, I, I kind of found out is you pretty much create your own luck. You know, you're, uh, you're going around looking for something. You're talking to people. Uh, you're asking other people what they're doing, what, what, what's working for you. You're meeting people, and you meet enough people, an opportunity is going to walk right by in front of you, right by in front of you. And at that point, there's, there's something else goes with luck. I, I, I should have really paired that with something because... Everybody, just about everybody I have ever met has had a good idea. Everybody's had, somebody can tell you a really good idea they had, but they didn't follow up on it. And the thing that has to go with luck is pursuit of it. And another uh, saying you've probably heard me say is that you can't steal second base and keep one foot on first. You know, if, if, if you identify something, and it looks good, and you really believe in it, and you kind of narrow it down to where you have pretty good odds of it succeeding. At some point, you got to make the break. You got to just absolutely go for it. And once in a while, to continue the baseball analogy, once in a while, you will get thrown out. And that's just what happens. But if you don't try, you'll always be the guy that had a good idea, too. Yeah, that's really well said. And I want to jump into how you became chairman of the board at Fitzgerald's because this is an amazing story and it really backs up everything you just said about this quote. So how did this happen, John? You became 
chairman of the board of a major casino. It's kind of a big deal, but your story about how you got there is pretty unique, and I think people would be surprised at the opportunity that you created for yourself there. Well, it's uh, looking for opportunity. Actually, I was coming off an opportunity. Some years prior to that, my family had a piece of property that were so it was a department store, it was a Gray Reeds department store, and that's where Circus Circus is today. Uh, Circus Circus is there today because I took off for second base. <laughs> I got that one done, and it was really a good, it was a wonderful deal. We'd been in it for two or three years, made a ton of money. So now I'm out of a, a job. I'm, actually, I've never really had a job, so I can't say I was out of a job. But I was kind of walking around looking for something to do, and uh, I went down to Fitzgerald's one day. Fit- Fitzgerald's a nice property, well-located, and I thought, well, I wonder what's going on here, because I knew I had a friend that worked for Summa Corporation. He ran Harold's Club across the street. He was also the president of the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas. Now, here's the kind of guy you want to get to know, right? This is the part where you can create your own opportunity. So actually I wound up partners in an airplane with this guy and I got, I, I got to know him better. I knew that his company, Summa Corporation, was interested in acquiring Fitzgeralds. And I thought, well, I know how to do leases and hotels and casinos and stuff like that. I just done one. It's not that hard really. So I went over to Fitzgeralds one day and I just walked in and I started watching it. And I went, I went back the next day, went back the next day. By the next day, the manager came up to me and introduced himself and uh, wanted to know what I was doing there every day. And I, I told him, I said, well, I'm just curious. I introduced myself to him. I just done Circus Circus. And I was just looking at his operation. And I, I got to know him. I started talking to him. Well, what do you do here? And, well, uh, what I found out, was that place was so undermanaged, you couldn't believe it. It was like on autopilot. Uh, Dealers would come and go on their shifts. Waitresses come and go. Everything was happening the same every day. They had these old tired slot machines, these mechanical slot machines. Um, The property was paid for. I knew that somewhere. Uh, Lincoln Fitzgerald had built it originally, and his widow owned it. And it gradually the idea began to dawn on me that here was a $25 million paid-for property that was in its own way a distressed property. It was creating problems for somebody. Uh, Mrs. Fitzgerald was never there. She wasn't running it. And this guy that I met was actually running the whole thing. And he, he was in way over his head. He was way overworked, and he knew it. But I knew some management guys, and they were right across the street. So, actually, I put a little bit of drama in this one. I, uh, I kind of felt them out a little bit, and what if, what if, and I could see they were interested. Well, Summa Corporation decided not to exercise their option to buy Fitzgerald's. And the Herald's Club execs were in a funk. They were pretty disturbed about it. The guy I'd met... Took off, he went to Mazatlan on a vacation. So after he'd been gone a few days, I called him in Mazatlan. I said, uh, 
Phil, I'm coming down to see you. Well, what? I said, I got a deal I want to talk to you about. Well, okay. So I did. Next day I flew down there. Now, this was curiosity. It, it made it have, it, it had some moment. God, what's this guy flying all the way down here to see me for? Well, I went down with him. I spent the day with him talking about how we could take that hotel over. And so I explained to him that, I, you know, I thought we could probably take it over. And he said, well, oh, right. He said, do you have $25 million? And I said, well, you let me worry about that part. I said, what I'm interested in now is the concept. Would you be interested? Would you participate in something? Well, he thought and he thought. and he, I could see he was getting excited about the idea, being an owner, not working for somebody else. Um, well, actually, yes, he said. And I pretty much thanked him and left, flew back to Reno. And that was the start of the deal. Wow. Talk about taking initiative, right, Jake? You created a hell of an opportunity for yourself there, John. That's that's quite inspiring. Yeah, in in a way, I created the uh, the opportunity, but I was just likely when I got on the plane to fly down to Mazatlan, I was probably more prepared for a no than I was for a yes. Well, I'm wondering at that point before you got on the plane, did you ask yourself, "Is this crazy?" Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. You, you were full steam ahead. Oh, sure. Yeah, I if, think that's the difference. If, if I asked myself if I, if I was crazy prior to every deal I got into, I'd have never done anything. Nothing gets done. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't become president of Fitzgerald's, but I have a story I think is useful in this conversation where I was interested in hot shotting. And so when I was in AmeriCorps, I was on a fire crew there and we were on a fire and we saw these, you know, these, these hot shots roll into the fire. They were kind of the big deal. And I was really kind of in awe of what these guys could do as a crew. And they were called the Flagstaff Hot Shots. So about a year later, I was applying for the job and there was probably, I don't know, I think... For the position that I wanted, there was maybe one slot open and probably over a couple hundred applicants, something like that. So I made sure I was fit. I definitely had some preparation there and I made sure that my numbers were good. And I sent that into the crew boss, letting them know with my application, this is what I run. This is push-ups that I can do, these kind of things. But I ended, I was broke at the time. I mean, broke. You know, we got done with AmeriCorps. They, it was a great experience. I loved it, but you didn't get paid much. And so I had barely enough money to put gas in my car. So I wasn't going to be able to make it from San Diego to Flagstaff. But I found somebody who actually wanted their car to be transported from San Diego to New York. And then they would fly me back. So... I took the car from San Diego, stopped in through Flagstaff, and I went in there. I heard that he just liked black coffee, just the black coffee, from this particular coffee shop. So I got him his black coffee from Macy's and walked in there and gave him his coffee. And he's like, you know, he's gruff voice, you know, who are you? Right? Because Paul's like super, super gruff and tough. But anyways, I told him who I was. I told him he had my application. I said, I'm just, uh, would love to talk to you about being on the crew. And 
you know, hopefully I would say that I made a good impression. I don't know, but I did end up getting the job and I feel like that probably helped in that pursuit. But, you know, you can't keep your hands in your pockets and and, uh, expect, you know, to climb a ladder, right? Oh, absolutely. You, uh, what you did there, I was kind of smiling when, when you were talking about it. What you did was create an aura about yourself that made this guy want to do something with you. He's like, this is a guy I could do something with. This is a guy that did his homework. I mean, when he got that black coffee, he, he knew that you knew more about him than he thought you knew. And that set you aside from the other guys. And what he's looking for out of 200 applicants is somebody that is unique. Right. You probably found the same thing that I found when somebody tells you that, oh, lucky, lucky. You just smile and say yes. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I feel like when we're talking to you, John, you talk about aura, man. I feel like you have uh, you have the super aura. If I have any aura at all, it's it, compared to you, you have the super aura. This is this is years and years of aura building, John, with you. And so every time I talk to you, I learn so much more. In fact. I have what I refer to as meeting of the minds with some of my favorite people. And we go to breakfast sometimes and I just listen, right? You always teach me something new. You always have new lessons to teach me. I like to, you know, switch gears a little bit. And we talk a little bit about, you know, this is story time a little bit with you. But when I was getting going in my business, and again, you were one of my earlier clients, and of course, struggling, try to build the business, trying to do my best. But I was, you know, kind of young and dumb and just kind of grinding my gears and doing the best I could, I felt like. But fair amount of uh, complaining to you when we uh, had our meeting of the minds and we took this one drive out to your ranch. And I remember you just said, Matt, you just need to get away for the weekend. You need to take a couple of days and get away. And and I used to, we ended up doing that a few times. Yeah. It was so much fun. My uh, my now wife, Erin, came up one time and we still talk about it. It was so much fun. It was so peaceful out there in the middle of nowhere. But at the same time, even though it was in the middle of nowhere, it was so beautiful, so pristine. Your aura made it, I think, even that much more special for us. But on our dr- drives out there, we'd have what, like uh, about a four-hour drive, was it? Yeah. And not much to see. I mean, you're just driving through desert to get to this it's place. The same, it's the same desert. Right. And so there'd be plenty of time to talk. And, of course, I was talking to you about the business and what I felt like, uh, well, poor me kind of talk a little bit. And you were just kind of like, shut up and listen. I've I've got some experience here. You need to just shut up now and listen to me, right? Do you recall or do you remember what advice you gave me that day? Because I still live by it. Oh, I don't. You know, so many times I'll be talking to somebody, this ha- this happens, and they'll start off and they'll say, I'll never forget the time you told me, and I'm going, oh. and they tell me, and this is what happened. And I'm going, God, I totally don't remember that. Yeah, so I'll I'll tell you, but on this podcast, I've already talked several times about good culture and good attitude and it's the closed versus open mindset you told me you're spending so much time on the closed mindset what's happening right now to you you're not paying attention to what's happening for you 
Yeah, very true. Right. And we, that's that's when I learned about open mindset. That was, I mean, I'm sure I had an idea about it before, but coming from you, it had a much bigger impact. And you basically, you know, kind of told me, all right, cut out, you know, the bull. Uh, you, you, just, you just need to open your mind about these things. You have so many opportunities in front of you right now, but you're just thinking about the things that you feel like are weighing you down. If you concentrate on what's good here, you're going to be able to pull ahead eventually, right? That's true. And I don't, I don't say very lightly, but you have been a huge mentor of mine. I don't think I would have had the life I have now without you. And there's a few people in my life that I would say that about, but just a few, and you're one of them. That's why we have you on today, and I'm so grateful for that. But uh, if you could give, you always give great advice, but if you could give somebody advice based on lessons learned from your life, and I know you've made a lot of mistakes, and you've also had some things that were pretty rewarding, but what kind of advice would you give people listening now that want to live a full life and want to take some chances, but maybe don't really know how to go about it? I'd say the biggest thing is have high expectations whatever it is you're you're taking a look at just picture yourself succeeding at it yeah i can do that you know you know believe in yourself and then talk to people you've got to talk to people you've got to you've got to communicate another really a valuable thing I, I i told you before the podcast that I was going to tell you two things that your listeners could take away. Yep. If you just talk to people, a couple of things happen. One thing I found that contrary to what everybody, well, most people believe, people like to be asked for their advice. And people in high places like to be asked for their advice. In fact, I, I still do it. If I have the opportunity, I'll be talking to uh Oh, some executive at the bank or the senior partner in the law firm. And I'll say, well, here's something I'm working on. Tell me what you think about this. And blah, 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 blah. And I'll tell them, well, they don't say thanks for asking, but it is flattering to be asked your opinion on something. Basically, it's a compliment to you that somebody would like to know your opinion. And people respond to that. You will get an outflow of information that you totally never expected. You'll learn things you never knew before. They'll say such things as, oh, and while you're at it, get a hold of such and such. You know, he's, you know, he, he really knows about this. And you've gotten all this free information just by asking for it. It is so simple. Right. You're, you're kind of my I got a guy guy, right? It's like you know so many different people. Oh, and, and that's why. Right. I've seen you in these situations as long as I've known you now. And you're always talking to people. It doesn't matter, by the way, I've seen you talking to just anybody and everybody. It's I, I don't think you have any bias there. You just talk to everybody. But you're not afraid to talk to people who are quote unquote important. That's for sure. And I think a lot of us get intimidated by that. I think it's the hardest thing sometimes to think you're, it's okay to walk up to this person who's kind of, you know, higher up on this tier and, or at least in your mind, maybe they are and ask for their time or their advice. But like you're saying, they actually want to give it. They totally, they totally do. Actually two examples come to mind. One was the young man 
that was the president of First Interstate Bank when we did Fitzgerald's. Oh, and by the way, we didn't have any money. So uh, knowing the banker turned out to be really valuable. But yesterday, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example from yesterday. I was getting rid of a bunch of books at my house, so I figured the easiest way to get rid of them was put them on a table and put them out on the sidewalk. That seems to be the new... Everybody knows if something's on the sidewalk, it's free. So I was kind of looking out the window yesterday afternoon, and uh, there was a woman out there. She was going through the books and looking at them. About 20 minutes later, she was still there. Hmm. Well, I think I'll go out and talk to her. So I did. I went out, said hi, and obviously it was my house and my, and my books. So she was, you know, looking at some of the books, and I was telling her about the Hemingway books. I have a lot of stuff on Hemingway. And, you know, some about him and stuff. And I had the nicest conversation with her. And finally, after a while, she said, well, that she had to go. And I said, well, um, do you live around here? And she said, well, no. She said, actually, I, I live in North Valleys. And then she added, and this is what was gratifying to me. She said, she said, I, I have a job here. I, I, I work for one of your neighbors. She said, I, I go into backyards and I collect all the dog poop. Oh, well, good. Sounds, you know, sounds like a good job. But she had enough confidence in me just having this conversation to tell me that. She didn't have to tell me that. But she knew that I would not care. It, it would not affect my opinion of her, and it didn't. Right. So now I know somebody in North Valley that collects dog poop. Well, that you never know, you know, and you're going to need somebody doing something. Well, and just like you said, your acceptance of people, I don't think you really have. There's no real hierarchy with, with you. People are people, and you accept them for who you are. Not a lot of people are going to say, oh, you collect dog poop. Sounds like a good job, right, Jake? I mean, you want to go out and collect dog poop? And I don't know, you... man. That sounds like a great job. <laughs> yeah, that's that, you know, and hey, but it's a living, right? And maybe some po people do enjoy that because it opens up their schedule for other things like, well, I can spend more time with my kid because I can collect dog poop whenever I want to, and that's their why for doing that in the first place, right? Well, and you never know what's going to happen. You know, the... The neighbor that she's working for may be musing about, gee, I wish I knew somebody that could do this. And she'd, well, I happen to know one of your neighbors down the street. I think you'd really like to talk to him about this. Uh, that's how that stuff happens. Yeah. One of the questions I had for you is, you know, is everyone really equal in your, in your eyes? Do you really feel that way about everybody? I truly do. If anybody listening to this happens to be driving down the freeway or something glance over at the car next to you at the driver that person has a life story that would make a book everybody does everybody's story is is is, is a book and an interesting book too I have a hard time thinking Jake is my equal. I don't know. <laughs> Tell me about it. I'm all the way over here. Now, John, that's interesting that you bring that up because I've literally had that same thought. Of all these people that we just kind of subconsciously ignore, they're going somewhere in that car. They're coming from something in that car. And yeah, that's absolutely right. It's, it's kind of a profound way to look at the world, right? And I just, I appreciate how you're accepting people as people. I notice in 
the successful people that I know, they tend to have those ways of thinking versus the bitter, unsuccessful people I know have the opposite. You know what I mean? Oh, that's, you know, it's gratifying for one thing. It's it's an enjoyable thing to do. About a year ago, I was in the produce section at uh, Walmart. So I'm sitting there looking at the collard greens, wondering how I would cook these collard greens if I got them. This woman excused herself. She said, excuse me, can I get some asparagus? Oh, sure. And I stepped back, and she had a child in her basket, and she got her asparagus. And I asked her, I said, "Uh, do you know how to cook collard greens? Well, here's somebody who had, I, I had a pretty good chance of a success rate here, you know, standing in front of the produce department. Oh, she said, yes, I do. And it wasn't a minute and a half. She was crying and telling me about her father. And, oh, what a story. And that was his favorite thing. And I had a recipe just when he, well, where did you live? Did you, you know, did you grow them? Did you grow your, I mean, people are just a story. Yeah, I think so much of it comes down to just acceptance. But people can tell, you might not realize it, but people can tell when you're not really accepting them or you're already judging them, your body language, the way that you're talking to them, the amount of time that you're willing to give them, and those kind of things, I think, come out, right? But you're saying that, hey, if you have that time for that person if you're really listening to what they have to say if you're understanding them verifying like we talked about before then they're going to open up pretty quickly and you're going to get to know them kind of what i i know you would never really say this but what amazes me is we're talking about a guy john at one time you you told me the only limitation in your bank account was really your imagination that's true. Right? Yeah. So so somebody who had reached that level, but will talk to somebody in the grocery store, a minute and a half later, they're talking to you about their father and crying because you accept people for who they are and, and you don't judge them. I think a lot of people who've reached your level, it's hard to not judge other people, but we certainly all need to do a better job not judging. I'm feeling like in myself, even there's a lot of times when I feel like I've got somebody figured out, and that's not really fair, is it? No, because you don't. I've never had, in my experience, I've never had anybody all figured out. They always come up with a surprise. You know, okay, so I, I have to jump to this story, but I seem to recall a story about when you had your your plane, your jet, I think it was. And didn't you have a tiger in your jet or something like that? And didn't the tiger like rip up your jet? Oh, no, that that was a story. No, that, that was a story from another pilot. He flew for one of the Saudi princes. Okay. And he had his plane. Again, this is what happened when you talk to people. You get these great stories. But I just want to point out, it's because you actually talk to your pilot, which a lot of people don't do, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, if you want to know what's going on in the world, talk to a corporate pilot because people think they don't exist. People think they don't have ears and tongues. The stuff they hear on their planes, everybody talks right in front of them. You know, they, they wouldn't talk in front of anybody else, but they talk in front of their pilot. And I have talked to other corporate pilots. How do you like these guys you're flying around? Well, you know, yeah, well, why do you feel that way? I mean, those guys can tell you more than the guy that's in the back seat of the plane. The guy in the front seat knows more of what's going on than the guy in the back seat. 
I love it. So what happened with this prince or whoever he was? It was a tiger, and this prince was taken. I, I don't know. They had to have been in India or somewhere. He wanted to bring a tiger back to Riyadh or wherever he lived in Saudi Arabia. And so he uh, had his pilot load up a tiger. The tiger was sedated. They put him in the back of the plane. Uh, the prince didn't want to fly with the tiger. This sounds like a kid's story. The prince, prince didn't want to fly with the tiger, so he took some other jet home. So this guy takes off for Saudi Arabia with this sleeping tiger in the back. Well, guess what? The tiger woke up. They they didn't give him enough sedation. He's looking around. You can only imagine what goes through a tiger's mind when he wakes up in an environment like that. And he did. He just ripped the inside of that airplane to shreds. And this guy said he not only tore up the plane, but the plane was rocking. You know, they're like, you know, probably 30,000 feet. And so. Um, and, this, and the pilot is only a thin door away from him. I mean, these aren't like oh. well-built doors between him and this tiger, right? Well, then, you know, those pilot doors are a lot thicker today than they used to be. They, they, they used to be just a thin little piece of plywood. And, of course, what he was worried about was what the tiger was going to figure out that there was something else on the other side of that door. But what he did was he put on his oxygen mask and then slowly depressurized the plane. Oh, that's smart. So he he took the cabin altitude of the plane from what was probably around 10,000 feet up to 20,000 feet, and the tiger went back to sleep. <laughs> Pretty smart thinking. That's one way to do it. When you've got a tiger, just depressurize the cabin. Yeah, right. There's something every pilot needs to know. Yeah, that's the funny part of the story. And then you think about this prince spending money on things like this and instead of, oh, I don't know, the people that's that are relying on him to, to help, right? So that's, that's... Oh, I know. That's always, yeah, well, that's a whole nother podcast, isn't it? So let's just go into your life a little bit. I like to listen to these life lessons, but let's let's start with what is the thing that you've done in your life that you're most proud of, John? What, what would you say? Okay, I'm really, I'm really glad I did that. I'm really proud. One of the things I'm really the proudest of is that... I really get along well with children. Mm, you love kids. I do. Yeah. I do. Eight ki- You've had eight kids. Yeah. I guess you should love them. Uh, yeah, I have a teenager at home, a 17-year-old boy. Yeah, that's tough love, isn't it? Well, yes and no. You know. I would want you as a dad, that's for sure. Well, I'm, I'm a pretty good dad. When um, You know, I, I hear a lot of parents say, well, when I went to school and if I got in trouble with the principal and I came home, I got a licking from my dad. You know, he he was he was twice as bad as the principal. With my kids, the best thing they could hear when they're in trouble with the principal, when they're sitting in the principal's office is, okay, I'm going to call your dad. And they just go, yes. Because they knew that their fortunes are about to turn. Because when when I came in there, when I came into the principal's office and my kid was sitting there on the hot seat, they were like, you know, I'm looking at the principal and, well, what seems to be the problem here? You know, because I'm my kid's advocate. I don't care what they did. I'm their advocate. You're a nature versus nurture kind of guy, aren't you? 
Well, I don't know. That's a pretty complex question. It is a complex question, but in other words, I think you revolve around nurture a little bit more, right? How, what kind of culture you're giving your kids, the fact that you stick up for them when they need it most. I'm sure they're learning some lessons there about why is dad supporting me through this? And that's got to affect how they end up not only making decisions, but, you know, becoming future fathers themselves or mothers, right? When I was really busy, at, at the busiest, with the casinos, and there was always like a big meeting going on or something important going on, and I always had instructions to my uh, my secretary, no calls. I'm not going to take any calls during this meeting. Actually, even if I had a one-on-one meeting, I didn't take any calls. So I, I dislike it. So when I'm talking to somebody and they answer their cell phone, I never answer my phone when I'm talking to somebody because my time is for them. It's not for whoever happens to be calling in. The only people that got their calls put through to me when I was busy was my kids. And sometimes I could tell that the, from the call that they were just testing it out, you know, to see if, hey, Dad, how you doing? Oh, fine. Well, I just thought I'd call and say hi, you know, it's like, you know, like that. But I found that that did uh, two things for me. One, it kept me really wired to my kids. And the effect of other people in my office was always really good. I'd be dealing with people, maybe it's the bankers from New York or something like that, and they're like, yeah, that's what I should be doing with my kid, too. You know, it it gave them a little insight into me. It gave them some personal insight into me as a a person. They they knew me better. They trusted me more. Absolutely. We were talking at the beginning of the summer and you were telling me you know matt spend as much time as you can with my daughter mia absolutely right volunteer at her school if you can yeah yeah and to be honest with you i'm i'm still working on that part with my my days that there's a lot of spinning plates and but a couple things and i shared with you at the time is i have scheduled into my days Mia time. And it's literally in my schedule. The mornings, I know. You've the told me that. That's great. Absolutely. And uh, even to the point where I used to be that guy that somebody's got a question for me. And really, I always want to be there for my clients. But training ends at seven. And now they have something they want to talk to me about. And I used to stay and talk about it or help them out with something. Now I say, you know, this was your time. I absolutely want to help you. Let's go ahead and make this priority one when you come in next time. But this is my daughter's time now. I got to get home, and that's what I've been. That's what I've been doing, and I've been doing a better job with that more and more. But shortly after we talked over the summer, my daughter, she used mommy's phone and she sent me a text. It's crazy as kids can text these days. She's not getting her own phone anytime soon, trust mm-hmm. me. But but uh, so she she texted me and she, I really miss you, daddy. And uh, the summer was busy for me. And, and I still, I, we had our daddy-daughter days on Fridays, but it's a long week. And so, you know what, that day I just looked at my schedule and I texted my clients coming in from that point on. I, I actually had like maybe an hour before my next client was coming in. And I, I never do this, but I just said, I think I've, I've got to reschedule you today. Uh, it's for my daughter, Mia. I need to uh, spend some time with her today. Everybody understood. Oh, you get so much respect when you do that. And it was... You're, you're, you're teaching a lesson to somebody else when you do that. But you know, when you said... 
I only take phone calls from my kids. That gives them that acknowledgement that, yeah, okay, I am priority one still here. And so that, you know, seeing my daughter that day where she didn't expect to see me and going down to the river with her and just having fun playing in the water, throwing the ball for the dog, we ended up doing some other fun things. We went biking, things like that. But she didn't expect it. And of course, you know, we had just a, a ton of fun. We ended up going till about, well, until the sun was setting and we finally called it a day. And, you know, that, that makes such a big difference. I think with, with, uh, Mia, she knows that, uh, I, and I told her that day, I said, you know, there's nothing else that I would rather do than spend time with you. And she said, I know that daddy, you know, so that's, that's the, you know, mm. another life lesson though, that I, that I feel like I picked up from you. Cause you were telling me just about that time you were telling me that very thing is, do everything you can to uh, prioritize me as much as you can, right? Yeah, it, uh, you know, and the beat goes on. You know, here I am, you know, 80. I had a granddaughter started school this week. She's five. I told my daughter, her mother, I said, be sure and tell the teacher that you've got a dad that'll come in and read stories in that class. And I will. You know, some of these kids that I've read stories to in the class when they were in grade school, they're out running the community now. Right. They're, they're all adults. They're older than you are. People that are my kids' age. Oh, I remember that. You came in and read to our class that day, and you told us uh, you read uh, The Shooting of Dan McGrew or something like that. And oh, oh, yeah, so I did. I got friends all over the place that didn't specifically set out to be friend, but I know them. They know me. That's more importantly. Yeah. Well, you know, it, you're you're uh, an easy person to like. So I want to switch over now to mistakes or maybe a lesson hard learned or right or, or earned even. So what do you think in your life? What's one thing that you think, man, I would have liked to have done that differently? You know, it's... Um in all honesty, I'd have to say nothing. Nothing? No. We, we were talking earlier, and you were talking about a big mistake you made in your business career. You bought a $125,000 worth of gym equipment. It was a big mistake. The question I asked you was, how many times did you do that? And, well, you said once. <laughs> okay, there you go. You got something from it. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, only only made that mistake once. <laughs> yeah, the the thing I found is with my successes and I've had some I have learned nothing. I'm just you just pat your you have a big success, you pat yourself on the back, say, "Yeah, you're just as smart as you thought you were. Good job, John." Well, you, what are you getting out of that? Not very much. But if you make a mistake, if you buy the wrong piece of property or something like that, and, I, and I've done that, some of it I still have, you, know, you, you don't do it the second time. Yeah, we, we can learn from losing. I feel like this goes back to what you taught me about the close and open mindset, though. We need to think about this in an open mindset when we lose and we can learn to fail forward. But we have to be careful about how we think of it because it's easy just to 
focus on the negative at that point. I think it's all in how you decide to move forward with that new information that you have from losing. Oh, true. Yeah. It's only a mistake if you fail to learn the lesson. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's true. It sounds a little uh, trite, but a lot of things that are trite are trite for a reason. It's because they're repeated so many times, and that, that one happens to be really true. You've always had good instincts, too, about you. I, your nickname for me is John Boy, but when you turned 65 and you decided you were going to train with me, now I know why, by the way, <laughs> I started calling you John Boy at the time because it was a chance to sort of regain some health and to maybe re, uh, reverse the gears a little bit on aging. And so I decided your, your name was John Boy. And uh, you do a lot of things to keep yourself young. So I think just talking about altruism, I, I feel like a lot of people like yourself, you've done so much for other people, just listening to them. I now realize why I like having breakfast with you so much because, well, A, a lot of times you pay for it, which is cool. And B, you're, you listen to me, I get to, get to talk. Because um, I know that you say best, the best way to learn about people is just to listen. Right. Yeah, and that leads into what I told you to be things that listeners could take away and go try it out. When I was going to college, uh, a popular topic was how to be a good conversationalist, which I guess is kind of an adjunct to being popular. And so I, I started experimenting with that. And I discovered, and a lot of times you'll you'll hear about it later. It might be weeks later, but somebody will tell you, you know, you met such and such. And he said, you're a great conversationalist. Oh, thank you. That was my goal. Is my goal to get somebody to say that. Because the secret to being a good conversationalist basically is don't talk. It's ask questions. How long have you had that car? Have you always had cars like that? you wish you had something else? What, what, what would you get if you could get any car you wanted? Man, people are just talking to you and talking to you and talking to you. And when they kind of get to slowing down a little bit, you just have a little feed-in question on something. They just, you know, just kind of like kind of bounce it once in a while. I mean, you can literally say nothing and come out of it with somebody telling their friend what a great conversationalist you are. Well, I know being a part of the community and having so many people that love you and there's in Reno here uh, so many people know the name John Metzger if I mention your name nine times out of ten people know who I'm talking about you're you're well loved and well liked and well known I hope to maybe have that kind of reputation myself one day I think that takes a lifetime to get to the point where you're at you've given so much back to the community you've helped out so many people and so that's the altruism part, and I feel like that's why at 80 years old you still stay young, right? Yeah, I, I, I stay pretty active. Another thing that keeps me young is I pretty much deal with young people. I don't deal very much with people my own age. It's not, it's not because I don't want to. It's people my own, own age aren't doing things that I like to be doing, which is like talking to young people. Up until, just a little example of that, up till oh, about three or four months ago, I was an Uber driver. I think I told you that. Yeah. And I drove for Uber for three years. And it wasn't for the money. 
it was like you get a little flash on your app to go pick somebody up, and you're like, who is it? Who is this person I'm just going to go pick up? And you get into the most, oh, the strangest conversations. One guy, I'd picked him up two or three times in a row. He was over at Lake Ridge, and I kind of feeling like I'm getting to know him a little bit, bit better. And So on this particular trip, he wants to, uh, he, he's going down to the Calneva in, in the morning. And, oh, so I'm like, well, what's going on at the Calneva? Well, he said, I, uh, I, I, I work there. Oh, and I said, well, uh, do you like your boss? Well, yeah, he said, I better. He's my dad. What's well, one of the owners of the Calneva? And, and so is this young man. So that's the kind of stuff you get when you talk to people. Yeah, and I remember you told me a story about picking up an elderly gentleman where it took several minutes just to get him in and out of the car, and that really helped him out a lot. There's not a lot of people that would take the time to do that, especially if they are trying to make a living as an Uber driver. And yet you looked at it a different way. I get to help this guy get to the grocery store and get home and give him something to do today. And so then now he knows he can call you when he needs uh, an Uber driver, right? Yeah, he was, uh, actually he was 90 and he hadn't called me in the first place. His daughter called me from Los Angeles. Would you go over and pick up dad? He's got a doctor's appointment. And um, asked him after I dropped him off the doctor's downtown. I said, how are you going to get home? Well, he said, I'll get home somehow. And Well, I gave him, I gave him my card. It has my cell phone number on it. I said, here, call me. I'll come and get you. Oh, well, that would be nice. So his daughter called. She called me from Los Angeles. And, oh, Dad told me you were going to give him a ride home later. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, now you tell him to give you a $5 tip. She said, Dad is a real cheapskate. And you, you you tell him, I want you to tell me that you will tell Dad to give you a $5 tip. And I said, okay, knowing full well I was never going to do it. I mean, you know, I say, would you mind giving me, you know. So I get him home and kind of chatting with him. He's getting out of the car. And, oh, yeah, he says, something for you. And he reaches into his pocket and he gives me 10 bucks. I, I hadn't said a word about it. And I kind of smiled at him and I said, well, um, your daughter doesn't really think you would do something like that. And he smiled. He said, she don't know everything, does she? <laughs> Great day, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, I, you know, I was going to end this podcast with a question about self-improvement. But I, I think it's pretty obvious. Jake, I learned a lot about just kind of dropping your ego we're not going to judge other people. We're going to listen. We're going to understand who it is that is in front of us. We're going to be open to new opportunities. Don't have that closed mindset. Have the open mindset. What else, Jake? What do you think? Well, I just get so much value out of these kinds of conversations, John. You know, just these simple, laid-back talks about being human. Because a lot of humans don't really human very well you know what i yeah, mean I and know, I know exactly i was about to make a generational stereotype and say oh my generation millennials we're not very good at it and we may actually be changing 
because a lot of the things that you're talking about are are common in my circles with my friends now. So really, that's interesting. Yeah. So I wonder if through examples like Matt, you were talking about when you have clients who want a little bit more of your time. You know, your athletic kids, and you say, "No, I'm sorry, I, I have." I have to go be with my daughter. No, she's not sick. She's fine. I just need to go spend time with her. Not only is that wonderful for Mia, I bet whether they don't have kids or or don't or they will later, when those athletes of yours are parents, I bet they'll remember that. And I bet that's going to perpetuate this domino effect, you know, and it starts from conversations like this. Yeah, and you're you're not telling somebody what they should be doing. You're telling them what you're doing. And making them think about it. Exactly. Right? And they go, oh, or, or you, and you're meeting with the banker. The banker, he's just a, another human being with an important job, right? That's He's probably truth. got a family, too, and he's probably thinking, oh, wow, it's been, it's been a while since, you know, I called my mom or whatever it may be. Yeah. yeah. Before I had Mia, I felt like I was fairly well accomplished compared to especially where I started off in, in life. But we're talking more monetary things there. And then when I had Mia, I remember my first thought is, I don't want to let her down. I've got to be better. I have to be a better version of me. I, I have to get better. She, she needs me to be better than I am today. And that's what kind of started that for me, where I really realized that I had a lot of work to do still. Not really. I've, I've, I've watched you go through this process. It, it it wasn't a big task for you. It was just something you let yourself do. You kind of gave yourself permission to do it. Yeah, well, of course, people listening have their own kids. They know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, I, uh, I, I think this is the best thing that ever happened to me in life. But I never felt like I was going to be ready. And, uh, of course, it's never really a sacrifice when you're doing this sort of thing for somebody that you love endlessly, right? So it doesn't. It's not a. It's not a task at that point. It just is. I've been reading the Tao of Pooh. I haven't heard of it. Oh, it's a great book. It's actually a second time reading through it. Chad, our good friend, Chad. Um, he is what used to be my business manager, and uh, he suggested this book to me, Chad Sweet. And so I read through it. I really enjoyed it. But this time now, I'm reading through it a second time and getting so much more out of it. But basically, Pooh just is, right? He's just, he, he just is Pooh. And you have Piglet, who's always nervous about things. And you have the owl that thinks he knows everything. And I realized reading through this book, that's kind of the lessons that I'm trying to teach my daughter right now. It's just, just be you, just be you. That's all really life is about is, is learning to be the best version of you possible. Maybe taking a few pointers from somebody like John Boy will help you kind of uh, curb your enthusiasm towards a better direction in your life. And that's fantastic, but let's not try to be you know, someone we're not. Let's try to improve who we are, but also accept who we are. Very true. Great story, Matt. And the next time you tell it, be sure you let people know you're talking about Winnie the Pooh. Winnie yeah, the Pooh. Yeah, exactly. The Tao of Pooh sounds a little bit different. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like that first version a little bit. It sounded a lot more interesting. Pooh is, is just Pooh, and he goes along his life being Pooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Got it. <laughs> I love it. All right, guys. 
Thanks for listening. Another great episode here at the Pendola Project Podcast. We really appreciate everybody's attention and giving us your ears for this hour. If you like the show, tell a friend or give us a review wherever you're listening. Keep in touch with us on Facebook or by email at pendolaproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.